Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. just want to lift your name up for you are worthy and Lord I pray with all our heart and our soul our mind and all our strength that we would declare that this morning that we would find your worth and we would declare with all that we are we invite you to join with us Lord in this small community as we come to sing your praises to lift our hearts in prayer and to hear your word expounded thank you for your truth Lord, your expression of love to us, in your name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be there in the moment, but today our message is going to come off the sanctity of life. We are reserving sanctity of life Sunday. 42 years ago, on January 22nd of 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in the case of Roe versus Wade, that a child in the womb is not to be considered a human person. In June of 1984, 31 years ago this week, President Ronald Reagan designated the third Sunday of every January as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday to coincide with the anniversary. And since that drastic decision, over 56 million babies have died in America under the sanction of law. Generations of children of every color, economic and social class, and gender have been brutally slaughtered. Fear, negative impact on the mother's life, financial instability, relationship problems, and unwillingness to be a single mother are just some of the most common reasons for choosing to abort a child. And I believe for the majority that are here today, you do not need to be convinced that abortion is a serious sin and a sword stain on our nation though there may be some here today that are not yet convinced. For many, this is a political or social or a private issue, and the church has no place at the table in this conversation. But it must be stated here today with all conviction that this is not true. The church must take a stand. The Bible must be opened, and the Word of God must be heard. We say that any argument to the contrary is rubbish and is not the truth. And to answer the question about when life begins or what determines life, you and I must go back to the Bible and to God's revelation under which we all must give an account of one day. And with that, Father, we tackle a deep, difficult, and troubling topic. One that I'm going to show here has more than do with just abortion one that finds itself in the very heart of each and every one of us. So I pray that you would just give me grace to be able to speak. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hear your word. And Lord, may your spirit work. And Lord, may we be persuaded by your word what is truth. And may we reapply that in the way it should be. Give us wisdom to discern the difference between man's opinion in your truth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
So goes the writers of the Westminster Confession, detailing God's purpose in creating man as found in Scripture. The Gospel Primer states that God has created man, me and you, with the intention that we might glorify Him by finding our soul's delight in Him and by living in joyful obedience to Him in all of our ways. And even Rick Warren got it right in his best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, when he wrote, It's not about you. You see, our existence is not an accident or a series of random events that culminated in a human race, but a planned, purposeful existence that comes from the will of an almighty God. I want to give you four observations found in Scripture about man. The first one is that creation of man was unique. Take your Bibles, you have it there in Genesis chapter 1. I'd like for you to turn in verse 26 with me. Where it says in the beginning, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. Man was created with dominion over all things. But verse 27 is where we want to camp here. For he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Wayne Grumman in his systematic theology writes that out of all the creatures that God made, only one creature, man, is said to be made in the image of God. And let me say here, when I say man, that's the neutral term for man and woman, it's the human race. We are the only ones that were made in the image of God. What that means is the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. He writes, when God says, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, the meaning is that God plans to make a creature similar to himself. Both the Hebrew word for image and the Hebrew word for likeness refers to something that is similar, not identical, but to the thing it represents or is in the image. The word image can also be used to something that represents something else. This understanding of what it means that man is created in the image of God is reinforced in the similarity between Genesis 1.26 where God declares His intention to create man in His image and likeness and Genesis chapter 5 verse 3 when Adam had lived 130 years he became the father of a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. R.C. Sproul, a famous pastor, And theologian writes, creation in the image of God is what sets human apart from all creatures. The stamp of the image and likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. Any truth, any teaching that tries to say that there's no difference between man and the rest of creation is absurd. It is not of the truth. And we live in a society that wants to elevate the creation up to the level of man whether it's animals or even plants. I remember there's a a movement in Sweden or Switzerland to create a law which it would be against the law to cut the grass or to do anything to plant life because it itself is life and has responsibilities and privileges that relate to any type of assistant life. We live in a society that tries to downplay the uniqueness that man plays in God's plan. 
But man was created uniquely above all creation. He was created in the image to be similar, to be in the likeness of God. And we see number two, the second observation, why? For man was created with special responsibilities. Continuing in Genesis chapter 2, move one chapter over. Man was created with special responsibilities. For the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. He was to cultivate it, to help it to grow, and to keep it, to protect it, to allow it to be safe. R.C. Sproul continues by writing that man is given a unique ability and responsibility to mirror and reflect the holy character of God as they took dominion over all of creation. Now, dominion does not mean to lord it over or to misuse creation, but it means to work it and to keep it. It was man who was given special responsibilities to guard and keep and protect God's creation. The third observation I like to make is that man was created and crafted personally by God to do so. Job chapter 33 says, The Spirit of God has made me. And the breath of the Almighty gives me life. He goes on in Job 31 to say, Did not He who made me in the womb make them, make others? Did not the same one form us both from within our mothers? Or Isaiah 64, where He says, But now, O Lord, You are the Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of Your hand. What's important as we see in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, if you're still there, is that you and I are not spoken into existence as all of other creation, but we are handcrafted. Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and He breathed into His nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living creature. He became a man with a soul. So we see our creation was unique. We were created with special responsibilities and created and crafted personally by the potter, by the one who made us. And man, number four, was created with a purpose before birth. And that's something that's important for us to understand as we continue with Scripture. For Isaiah 49 says, The Lord called me from the womb, and from the body of my mother He named my name. It says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob, Israel, back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. Isaiah understood why God had created him. He says, For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You may say, well, there's two men. Yes, they were themselves, but that's not all of us. But we see in Acts chapter 13 with David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. You see, you and I have to understand is that we are created for a purpose in our birth. There's no accidents. There are no unplanned pregnancies. There are no unwanted pregnancies in the eyes of God. What we find from these scriptures is that God is a personally created each individual uniquely for a divine purpose. And each person carries the image of God within himself. What scripture is calling us to understand is the dignity of human life. 
And that's what I want to talk to this morning, is about the dignity of human life. You see, human dignity is not derived from our talents or our abilities or from our social status or from our potential. But human dignity is derived from God. For it is God who has assigned value to man. For we are God's image bearers. Former fire chief of Atlanta, Calvin Cochran, who had just been fired from his job, hit the nail on the head this week when he confirms that every person without exception possesses the image of the Creator and has inherent dignity and worth. He said this as he was fired for writing on Scripture and detailing his belief in traditional marriage. He says every person without exception possesses the image of the Creator and inherent dignity and worth. And I think most of us would say, yes, we believe that, we agree with that. But here's where we're going to put the rubber to the road, is do you and I truly believe it? It's more than just for us to assent to that, but do we live it out in the way we live, in the way we make our decisions, in the way that we value each other? You see, the problem is that you and I have not upheld this scriptural truth. Instead of pointing fingers at the defenders, the providers, and the participants of abortions, which we typically do on sanctity of life, you and I understand that we are all guilty of not observing the dignity of human life. See, recognizing the truth that you and I are image bearers of the Creator, we can now understand what the Old Testament law, when it says, you shall not murder in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. For Jesus fully interprets it in Matthew chapter 5. All of us know the Old Testament. You shall not kill, which means you shall not murder. Jesus, then speaking to some Pharisees, is opening up this teaching a little bit more. And I believe this is where you and I need to understand the value of human life, the dignity of the God image bearers. For in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Bring your attention to the phrase, you have heard it said. Jesus here is not redefining or reinterpreting the law of you shall not murder. But he's correcting the misinterpretation and the abuses of the teaching and the application of the law from the traditions passed down through the ages. For really what he's getting to is the heart of the matter. For like many of us, and as they were, is we look at an action. And we take the biggest action, the worst action, and say that is wrong. But you and I find that we do the same thing in little bits in our hearts. In other words, murder, the unjust killing of another, is equated or equal to anger, insults 
and the contempt of others. You see, when we insult others or hold others with contempt, or we become angry and we come enraged with others, the Bible says that's the same as taking a life unjustly. All things that we harbor in our hearts towards others rise up and say we too are guilty. We live in a very difficult time. You know, and I think every generation probably could say this. I think probably what makes it worse for us is that information comes to us so quickly from all points of the world. It's easy for you and I to point out the works of a Hitler or a Stalin. We can point out to the works of terrorists who are killing innocent people. We can look to the slaughters of Boko Haram in Nigeria in which they're killing not only Christians but Muslims and enslaving little girls to the sex trade. We can point to the human trafficking for sex and for cheap labor that even happens here in Orange County. We can point to the abortions of convenience and the racism that fuels prejudice or bias or the prejudice and bias that fuels the racism that we find in politics and our dealings with each other. But you and I must agree that it's much harder for you and I to look into the depths of our own hearts to see how we too have devalued the dignities of those around us including our spouses, our children, our bosses, our co-workers, and strangers that we've encountered. You see, we're as guilty as those other most horrible men and organizations when we hold anger and bitterness and insult and hold others in contempt. See, we must recognize how you and I have devalued or destroyed the value of life and the dignity of others. It's found in the harsh word that a husband has for his wife. It finds itself in the harsh words of a parent to a child or to a child back to a parent. It's found in the insult and the contempt that we might hold for our bosses or employers the way in which we work around and ignoring those that are hungry and are in need in the streets around us. It's found when we turn a blind eye to the human trafficking. It's found in the blind eye that we find to those that are struggling. We devalue life when we look at an issue say illegal immigration, and all we think of them, of people who are lawbreakers and who deserve nothing and never look on them with compassion. I'm not making a political statement, but what do we see first? Do we see the political issue or do we see the person? Yes, there is a political issue. There is a law issue. We must see that, yes. We are a law of nations. But as Jesus said, He looked upon the crowd and had compassion and understanding. So you and I need to recognize the ways in which we devalue life 
in which you and I also destroy human dignity. And let it also be said that we do so ourselves when we look in the mirror and we don't like the selves that we see. We're dissatisfied with how God made us. And we sculpt our bodies and plastic surgeries and all other types of ways to change the image of God in which He's formed us. It's found in the way in which a young girl who hates her body because of social pressures will find herself in the bathroom regurgitating her food or in pain and cutting themselves or a child who may take their life. We devalue people. We crush the human dignity. and We do that each and every day ourselves. It's not meant to be a political message, but a spiritual message, a scriptural message that has political implications. So the reason why we have things that we don't like as our laws is because we left human dignity alone. We leave the scripture out of it. And the more that we do that, the farther we get away from God's plan in our lives. So I'm here to share with you three implications from what we find of human dignity. The first implication is that human dignity or the sanctity of life includes racial hatred, bigotry, and prejudices. And obviously we can say, well, we don't have that. We screamed at the TV, but I'd have to tell you that I think we need to do a better look in ourselves for there are ways that we hold those types of things. Tomorrow, on January 19th, we're going to recognize the efforts of the civil rights activist Martin Luther King Jr. And though he may be a polarizing man in many circles, he brought to light a very dark period of American history that is marked with ungodly attitudes and behaviors towards people of different colors, races, and nationality. And it is sad to say that many pastors and many churches and many Christians stood against that and with that type of feeling and thoughts. Some of you might have grown up during that time. Uh, by the time I was obviously older, see less and less of that. But I lived in a city that was marked by much racial strife. It still is. It is a city that is rife with gang violence. The school had to be desegregated. Terrible things that are going on. But the Bible tells us to love your neighbor as ourselves. So you and I need to reach out and find in what ways might we hold some biases and prejudices. What are some ways in which there might be some racial hatred? It may be very subtle. There may not be any in your life. But we need to search for it. Let it never be said again that the church will ever stand with those that put those. And that could be against Muslims. It could be against Mormons. It could be against Catholics. It could be against anyone that's different from us in any type of way. Sanctity of life, human dignity means that we recognize that they too are made in the image of God. Now let me say this. Every life has the same value. We must come back to this as a nation. We must come to a nation where every life has the same value. 
Just because you have this much potential does not mean that your life is more valuable than someone down here. Because everyone is made in the image of God. We, for some reason, have got this thing in which we say, what's their potential or what's their value? James tells us, don't do that in your church. Every life has the same value. But let me tell you this. Not every person's thoughts, opinions, and interpretations of the truth is not the same worth. So I may value someone, but say that their truths or that their worldview is wrong. That is not devaluing someone. So we need to get past that point. We live in a world today in which we want to think everyone's worldview has the same value. That's untrue. And so let's recognize that. I think hopefully I said that and that makes sense. So all life has the same value, but not all philosophies, religions, opinions, and truth worldviews have the same value. We must recognize that. And so we must be able to engage and talk and dialogue about those differences in a way which values that person. So another way, do we pray for Boko Haram? Do we pray for those Muslims? Do you pray, Reverend Al Sharpton? Do you pray for the guy, the talking head that you just cannot stand? Or is your life concludes racial hatred, bigotry, and prejudices? Love your neighbor as yourself. The second implication that we're going to see is that sanctity of life includes justice for all. It includes justice and protection, especially in the taking of a life. Let me get this to you. You can tweet this, all right? A assault against human life is considered an assault against God himself. Let me say this again. An assault against human life is considered an assault against God Himself. And we must recognize that, whether it's in racial hatred, bigotry, or prejudice, or whether it's in someone taking a life. In Genesis, He tells us, He says, For your lifeblood, He's talking to Noah after the flood. He says, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man his blood shall be shed. For God made man in his own image. So we must live in a society, we must be a society that says human dignity must be shown in justice for those that take life. Because it's an assault against God himself. And you say, but what about those that are innocent? What about the degrees? Well, Exodus tells us, whoever strikes a man so he dies and puts him to death shall be put to death. But if he did not lay in wait for him, if it was not murder, but God let him fall into his hand, then I'll point for you a place for which he may flee. But if a man willingly attacks another man to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar. In other words, there shall be no sanctuary. He may die. And we live in a, a world today in which justice is not being taken care of. There is no protection for the victims. We've devalued life to that point where now we play games with it. And it should not be so. Life should be so sacred that it must never, 
it must never be destroyed without just cause. Life is so sacred that it must never be destroyed without just cause. And then the third is that sanctity of life does include abortion. It does include the taking of a child's life. Over a million abortions are performed in America each year. Reports last year indicate that over 40% of all pregnancies in New York end in abortion, a rate that increases almost to 60% of pregnancies among African-American women. Whole generation of children wiped out. The vast majority, 90% of unborn children diagnosed with Down syndrome are now aborted. Sex-selected abortions are legal in the wide-open right to abortion declared by the court. Prenatal testing of other characteristics means that parents can now abort a baby that does not meet their specifications and they could try again. This happens very often with IVF, people who are trying to have children. We call it designer babies. You go to India and many other nations in which gendercide is very widespread. John Piper makes a very important observation when he writes that both Psalms 139 and Job 31 emphasize God as the primary workman, nurturer, fashioner, knitter, and creator in the process of gestation. You may ask, why is that important? It's important, he writes, because God is the only one who can create personhood. Mothers and fathers can contribute some impersonal egg and some impersonal sperm, but only God creates independent personhood. You're just finding biological things. It's God who makes it work. So when Scripture emphasizes that God is the main nurturer and shaper in the womb, it's stressing, he writes, that what is happening in the womb is the unique work of God, namely the making of a person. From the biblical point of view, gestation is the unique work of God fashioning personhood. Look at the verse. We read it earlier. Psalms 139. Look what David says through the Holy Spirit. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written every one of them. The days were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Again, many people, well, I have an unexpected pregnancy. It's not. It's not an accident. You say it's unwanted. Yes, maybe by you, but not by God. That person was personally fitted by God. Any and all attacks on the dignity of human life finds itself, now listen to this, for this is important. Any and all attacks on the dignity of human life, whether it's in prejudice, hatred, bigotry, or lack of justice or abortion, any and all attacks on the dignity of human life finds its origins in the demonic exalt on the image of God. You need to understand that. For we think we're against flesh and blood. But our battle is not against some young lady that's struggling about whether or not to keep a baby. 
It's not in some country bumpkin that holds his heart against somebody of different color. It's not against the terrorists. It's a spiritual battle. For we wrestle not against bone and flesh, but of the spiritual things, the princes and powers who are trying an all-out assault on the dignity of God. I think that's why you see many times as you look through the Old Testament, you see the pagans who would worship. Think of Elijah. Well, how would they worship? What would they do? They cut themselves. They would bleed themselves. What would they send to, to sacrifice? Their own children. Satan loves it when we devalue life. He loves it when we deface our own bodies, when we have an attack against our own image. He does not want you to be happy with who you are and what God has created. See, this is where the gospel comes in. From the beginning, the reasons for our creation is found in Scripture so that we can worship the Creator. Scripture says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. And by your blood you ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them a kingdom and a priest to God, and they shall reign on the earth. Philippians tells us that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. You see, God is seeking worshipers as the Scripture tells us that the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. The demonic assault on human dignity is because Satan wants to stop anyone from worshiping the Father. We were created so that we can look on Him as the great object of our admiration. But as we devalue life, we destroy it so it never can lift voice or heart to its own Creator. See, God is calling all human life from every tongue, from every tribe, from every nation, from every gender and race to worship Him and to declare His glory. See, God's glory is revealed in giving birth. God's glory is revealed in the diversity of men and women and races that He's created. God's glory is revealed in judgment and protection of those that He created. But you and I have failed to honor God by aborting our children, by prejudice against our brothers and sisters with insults and contempt and anger, and not observing fair and just punishment, and calling evil good and good evil. But the gospel comes and says Jesus came to restore our failures. Jesus came to restore God's glory and the dignity of human man on human life through the forgiveness of sin, through the reconciliation of God with man and in rehabilitation in character and nature. Jesus is in the process of making right what went wrong. You may say, okay, so what's my response? Let me give you three of them. One is you should be contemplating this evil that comes when we value life. We should be able to pray that God would eradicate all devaluing of human dignity in all of its forms. Whether it's in a way that we talk to our spouses, our children, the way that we see others, the way that we treat others, the way that we vote, the way in which we see each other. We can support the living well pregnancy with our time, our giving and our prayer, 
as well as reaching out to those that are not like us, sharing the gospel with those of different races, those of different economic and social class. The main thing that you and I can do in valuing life and bringing back the dignity and the sanctity of life is proclaiming the gospel faithfully in all of our circles of influence. Would you do that? God is seeking worshipers and He's using us. But let me tell you, we can never accomplish our duty if we do not value life. For every life is made in the image of God. It doesn't matter how evil they are. It doesn't matter what's happened in their life. Every person has value in God's plan. But let me end with this. For many times this comes across as a very tough message for someone who had decided to undergo an abortion. And maybe you're here this morning and you have. Let me tell you that God's gospel gives you grace and forgiveness. Do not hold on to it as you saw the living well. has classes for those who may struggle. Some struggle with it, some don't. But let me tell you, to confess that sin, to recognize that God's grace is there for us, even when we made a choice that ended a life. In the same way, you may be holding bitterness and anger against someone. You've devalued someone in your life, maybe someone you love. It's time to make that right. It's time to ask God's strength. Lord, help me to value my spouse. Help me to value my employees. Help me to value my boss. And all these things, God's grace comes and forgives us. When we repent, confess of our sin, and turn to Him. Would you do that this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. And would you take a moment to respond to what God is doing? In what ways have you devalued the dignity of a human life? In what way have you assisted in the assault of the image of God? If so, repent, confess that sin, and turn towards Him. Father, You're so good. Preaching this message and preparing this, I saw my own heart and how evil it is. I've seen how I've assisted Satan in that demonic assault. The times that I have spoken uh, ill of others, the times I've held others in contempt, times where I've looked at others and didn't love them. Thank you for your grace. Let us be a church, let us be Christians that value human life. If for the first time this morning, let us see life the way that you see life. And may that change our perception, the way we view things, the way we respond to others. We pray for the strength. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.